Hello, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Only Horror Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nick. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where Joe, a true horror fan, uh, uh, a longtime horror fan, we should say. Yeah. You know, lifelong, really. Lifelong. Yeah. And uh, he tells me to watch a horror film every week. And then I go and watch that movie and I come back and we talk about it. Follow us on Instagram. Subscribe. Rate us five stars. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Please rate us five stars, folks. Go on. Give give us a review. Dude, just tell your friends about the podcast. And this week's movie is The Mist from 2007. Yeah. And it is a. uh, It's a doozy. Yeah, it really is. It really, truly is. It's uh, based off for those of you who do not know, it's based off a Stephen King novel of the same name. Yeah, actually, technically a short story is only about 100 pages. Oh, is it? Yeah. Wow. Well, they really stretched that fucker out. Yeah, yeah, they really, uh, well, they, they apparently filled it in a lot, actually. They had a lot of detail and stuff that wasn't there. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun one. I, I will say I did know the, uh, the, um, the ending. I didn't, I didn't realize until it was like one of those moments where, like, I knew I knew something about the movie and I was like, ah, there's something I feel like I maybe have seen the end of this, but I didn't know what it was. And then when it got right to the end part, I was like, oh, I know how this ends. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. Oh, that's. Yeah. I can't believe that because this is like uh, this movie is known for, you know, a lot of things, but really it's known for having one of the most emotionally brutal endings ever put on film. Yeah. It's uh, it's horrible. Yeah. I want to mention, yeah, actually, uh, you know, I don't usually give these because we do say like we're going to go through the plot of this movie, but this is an extreme spoiler warning. Oh, huge. You don't want to end up like Nick, you know? Yeah. So this is Uh, a movie where uh, if you haven't seen this movie and a lot of you, uh, I know, listen to this podcast aren't even really true, like big horror fans, but you just like listening to the show. Um, I don't know, man. This is a really good movie to go and watch. Yeah. I, you know, I think it is definitely worth your time. And like, even if you listen to this whole podcast and know the entire thing, it's still you know, you got to see it. Yeah. It's an experience that was, a, it's a little, it was a little disappointing for me to be like, oh yeah, I kind of, I already know. I know how this ends, but, um, you know, uh, Stephen King had something to say about that actually. Really? Yeah. He said, uh, there should be a law passed stating that anybody who reveals the last five minutes of this film should be hung from their neck until dead. He said that 14 years after the movie was made. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, then absolutely. We're giving in a, an extreme uh, spoiler warning here because it's, it's one that you don't want to, you just don't want to miss it, man. You really don't. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, I think it, you know, it's not quite considered a modern classic yet, but it should be, mm-hmm. you know, is, uh, it was directed by Frank Darabont, who is, you know, consider one of the greatest, you know, living film directors. He's known for the Shawshank Redemption, the Green Mile. You uh, know, I'm embarrassed to say that I, I had never even seen his name, even though I've seen both of those movies you just said. Really? Yeah. yeah. yeah it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like I'm not a true uh, cinephile in any way, you know? Well, you know, those movies, I mean, a lot of like, if you're like me, you probably saw them like on TNT or something during the day. Mm hmm. Cause like they got shown all the time. No, that's true. I saw them definitely like DVDs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but they both, I mean, both of those movies had profound, not profound, but real effects on me, I think. You know, they're very intense films. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. Shawshank Redemption, especially, like, prison movies in general. That one in American History X, like, you're just not quite the same after you've seen no, those. No, no. I saw, did I, t- did I tell you I saw American History X, like, way, way too young? No, but I saw it pretty young, too. We've we've talked about seeing horrifying, traumatic movies at a, a too young of a, an age, that was one of them for me. And, and the way that it happened was was interesting because my dad rented it for like a family watch. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what he thought it was going to be. But yeah, he brought it home. And, um, you know, the scene open, the whole movie opens with with uh, Norton, Edward Norton curb stomping a black guy. Yeah. As a Nazi. Committing an ultra violent hate crime. Yeah. And it's uh, horrifying. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. And but my it was interesting. My dad through that part kept kept we kept watching it, you know, so like this guy curb stomp. I mean, I didn't even know what a curb stomp was at that point. That was the first time I'd ever I don't seen think it. anyone did until they saw it. Like, right. It kind of like defined curb stomping. Right. Yeah. That, that's really the only example I can think right. of. Yeah. But then then and later on in like that, that video game Gears of War. Oh, one yeah. of the finishing things was one of the finishing moves for every person you shot down was curb stomping them, smashing their head with your foot. Uh, and it became like this just like really cool thing that you did in a video game. But uh, yeah. that was such a traumatic thing to see. And then eventually when there was the prison rape scene, my dad was like, all right, I think we're good with the family movie night. You yeah. Know? Also spoiler alert. If you haven't seen American history. Yeah. Yes. Sorry guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll edit in a spoiler alert or something. I don't nah, know. You don't need to do that. They've uh, had, it's been it's been know, so long. Movies that have been out since the 90s. Like this one, you know, it's been what, 14, 15 years since it came out. You know, yeah. it's like. Technically, you can spoil it. You but can still spoil it. like, but, but, but it's it's a, it's wrong. It's wrong. And I, I will say I really fucking enjoyed this movie. And the only thing that would have made it a little bit better is if I had no idea what was coming in the end. Mm hmm. Just watch the movie, man. Just watch it. It's not even like a, it's not, I don't know. It's not like a two, it's more of like a thriller in a lot of ways than like a horror. Is it though? I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if I can back up that statement. It's pretty horrifying. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a horror. Anyways, we've talked quite a bit about this, but uh, you know, are you doing okay? Are you doing good? I bet you are. I bet you're good. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I am good. You know? You're married. Um, You're married and things are different. And I'm married uh, happily. Uh, we finished recording the botched execution demo finally. So yeah. we're just waiting on the final mixes. So that will actually finally be released like in the next week or so, hopefully. That's awesome. Because uh, I've been ready to put that thing out for months and months. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's in the can. So did that, I see you got a new guitar or something on Instagram? I did. Yeah, yeah I got uh, there was a guitar that I ordered on back order like a year ago. Mm-hmm. And then they finally were going to deliver it the week of the wedding, but we had to update our address cause we had moved since I ordered it. And then they forgot to put the apartment number. So it got returned and then they just gave it to the next person in line. Hell yeah. So then I had to wait I mean, another, no. another two months. That's a bummer. Yeah. But I finally have it now and it's amazing. Yeah. I need to get it set up, but, uh, yeah, that's great, man. So all the issues I had with my most recent, the one I got before that are solved with this guitar. So it's nice. That's right. That's awesome. I love a new guitar. Yeah. What about you, man? You got the uh, one man show coming up tomorrow night. This, yep. you know, doing another pass run. by the time this is out. But. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
It's uh, yeah, tomorrow the 14th. Also, it's Friday the 13th today, man. It is Friday the 13th. What a great day to be recording a horror movie podcast. That's right. That's right. It's a great day. And uh, tomorrow's the show. Then Sunday is kind of like getting ready to go to New York on Monday. Uh, you know, going out there for three months at least and then going to kind of reassess and figure out what the hell you know, whatever's happening in my career or my life, you know, and just go from there. Try not to get married to anything too much. I think, I don't know. You know, it's not a terrible idea. I was wondering if you were like, you had like decided like, okay, I'm staying there permanently or if it was still kind of like, uh, you know, gonna spend some time and then see how it goes if you want to stay. Yeah. I think, I think I might want to try and make my most, a good portion of my time in New York. And I don't know, cause I'm keeping my apartment for the, you know, for the next few months and I'll be back. In- I was wondering cause it didn't look very packed up. No, 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 no. Cause someone's coming in here to, to rent it out while I'm gone. And, um, nice. and then, yeah, man, I don't know. Come back and just kind of see where everything is, you know, go from there. I don't want to get, make too, too, too many decisions. It's not a terrible plan. And if you have the flexibility to be able to do it, why not? You know, yeah. like, for now, I think I might. It would be cool. I wouldn't mind like getting to spend some time in New York or another place for a while and then having the option of coming back and like living in my same place. That would be. Yeah. If I can find a way nice. to make it work, it, it, it could be nice, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you book some acting work and, you know, that could be the ticket <laughs> that could that could uh, make it very, very if doable I, for you. If I could just book a, a good number of roles and uh, have some sense of security in this uh, career. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, a hard thing to get. I don't even. It's a very hard thing. I, I don't even know if they have it at the top level, you know. Like, no, we do have a long one here, so we should yeah, probably, we probably get should. talking about this. Uh, get into this movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think we should. As we mentioned, the movie is The Mist from 2007, directed by Frank Darabont. Yeah, it's an over two-hour movie. It's got a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is way too low. Low. It was made on a budget of $17 million, 37-day shoot, and made a little over $57 million at the box office. So it was a what they consider a moderate success. Right. only made like... 20 million dollars right yeah which seems like a lot to me but probably not it wasn't a, big a studio it wasn't a big movie like when it came out right i mean i don't remember i remember like knowing about it but it wasn't like a movie where people were like you gotta see the mist oh yeah i i know like for horror fans it was like, right i know i'm almost certain i saw that one in the theater but people don't people tend to rate movies with endings like this low Right, because it just hurts them. It makes you feel horrible. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched this movie th- this morning. It's not a good good way to start your day. You know? <laughs> it is not usually an early morning kind of movie. No. You know, like... It ended and I was like, well, now I guess I'm going to go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I think... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really bum me out in that way anymore. I mean, it's still the ending to watch. It's like tough it's tough yeah but uh but it's that first it's that first watch it's just like you're like fuck man yeah it's just yeah and we'll get to that um but yeah i just wanted to mention uh some key cast members so we got uh thomas jane as david drayton he's kind of our protagonist uh you guys might know him from boogie nights deep blue sea uh the punisher Mm. which i really liked even though a lot of people didn't that's another one that was too dark for people as a movie, the movie version. Yeah. Yeah. It was right. the one from the, like, I remember that one. Yeah. Early mid two thousands. They also shot it around St. Pete, which gave mm-hmm. it bonus points for me. 
uh, Hung, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World and The Expanse. Uh, it's got Lori Holden as Amanda Dunfrey. She's known for the X-Files, Silent Hill, and she was Andrea in The Walking Dead, which was also uh, developed and produced, and he was the showrunner, uh, Frank Darabont, for that, too. Mm, nice. Uh, for the first season and a half till they fired him. We've got Andre Brauger as Brent Norton, and he is known, best known as Captain Raymond Holt on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And then Marsha Gay Harden is Mrs. Carmody, known for being a Broadway star. She's on The Newsroom, How to Get Away with Murder, Miller's Crossing, and won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actri- Actress for Pollock in 2000. Yeah, she's really good. We also got Toby Jones as Ollie Weeks. Uh, he was in Frost, Nixon, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, uh-huh. W. He was Dobby in the Harry Potter movies. He played Capote in a yep. movie. In a movie. He's in Doctor Who, The Hunger he's Games. He's fucking awesome. Yeah, he's another great actor. Uh, and then William Sadler is Jim, who was in the Shawshank Redemption, Hard to Kill. Uh, he played Death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and Bill and Ted Face the Music. Oh, right on. Yeah. I guess from there, let's get into it. All right, folks. This is The Mist from 2007, Plot Synopsis. We open on an artist painting a movie poster for The Dark Tower during the storm. This is David Drayton. There's a finished poster for The Thing in the background as well. Later, David, his wife, Stephanie, and their son, Billy, watch the storm through the window of his home studio. An opening title card reads, The Mist. Later, the storm sends a tree crashing through the studio window, destroying David's painting. While surveying the damage the next morning, they see that their neighbor's dead tree has fallen over and destroyed their boathouse. As they discuss it, a thick mist advances over the lake. Yeah, we should mention that this storm, like, uh, it was like, it seemed closer to a hurricane than just like a regular storm. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Yeah, so they're they're outside with their little kid, you know, David's painting that he was working on was destroyed, right? And mm-hmm. he talks about... Yeah, his poster, yeah. So his, like, you know, he's afraid he's not going to make his deadline. Yeah, he was commissioned to make this thing for Hollywood. Yep. Next door, their neighbor, Brent Norton, a lawyer from the city, is attempting to saw through a fallen tree in his yard. David notices that Norton's classic 1980 Mercedes has also been destroyed by a fallen tree. On the road, they pass multiple utility trucks and a caravan of military vehicles. Norton asks if they're from the Arrowhead Project, part of a secret military base in the nearby mountains. As they joke, another military convoy passes by at high speed. They arrive at the supermarket in the small town of Bridgeton, right? I think Bridgeton, yeah. Yeah, Bridgeton, Maine. Uh, Norton takes Billy inside to go shopping while David uses a payphone in an attempt to reach his agent and extend his deadline for the poster, but the phone is out of service. Inside, the supermarket is jam-packed with people buying up supplies. A cashier, Sally, tells David that half the staff didn't show and that the power is out. David also stops to chat with Ollie, the store's assistant manager. Ollie says good morning to a woman named Mrs. Carmody, who replies, I don't know how good it is, but I guess we'll have to make do. Uh, it's pretty good, Mrs. Carmody. Really? It's not bad. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, David finds Norton and Billy, and they decide to get their stuff and meet back at the checkout. Uh, soon, three soldiers in dress uniforms come to the store to grab stuff before catching a bus to go on leave. One of the soldiers, Jessup, smiles at Sally, that cashier, while Billy says hello to an older woman, retired teacher, Miss Repler. So, uh, so yeah, Sally is the, the cashier, and she's like, she's a cute young Girl, yeah, you she's know, like uh, late teens, yeah, early twenties, late teens, and 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 Jessup is this good looking soldier, you know. Yeah, I think it's played by Sam Witwer. Yeah, you've seen him in a lot of stuff. Yeah, but uh, there's clearly like a nice, there's a little history here. You can kind of tell, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just getting like a little taste. They're kind of like in- introducing the rest of the cast. That's throughout right. This scene. That's correct. As they stand in line making small talk, a military police jeep 
uh, pulls up to the store and a uniformed MP gets out looking for the group of soldiers. From inside the supermarket, they watch as the police and fire department speed down the street. The MP informs the soldiers that all leave has been canceled and heads next door to check the pharmacy. Suddenly, an emergency air raid siren begins blaring through the town. Everyone in the store looks on as a terrified local, Dan Miller, runs screaming through the parking lot and into the store. He's bleeding from the nose. He's got a, he's got a little blood in his nose, maybe yeah. a little cut on his forehead. Something's going on, you know. Yeah, he looks like something happened. And people are like freaking out because this is scary. He comes mm. running out of this mist, you know, and he's like, and then like a full panic too, and a full panic, and it's just a very tense moment, you know. Yeah, and he's like a middle aged guy. He doesn't look like the type of guy who would just be freaking out, right? Like, easily. Yeah. So he runs into the store and he warns of the dangers lurking in the mist, right? He says something grabbed a guy and dragged him off and he just heard screams, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in response, store manager Ollie Weeks and Bud Brown close off the supermarket and the mist rolls into the parking lot and quickly envelops the store. Everyone is inside waiting, speculating about what the mist might be. Miss Carmody says to herself. It's death. Just as a huge earthquake begins to rattle the store, shaking products off the shelves and causing lights and tiles to fall from the ceiling. The managers warn everybody to stay inside the store, but a woman says she has to get back to her kids who she left alone at home. Yeah, this woman played by the uh, same actress like Carol in The Walking Dead, too. A lot of crossover between that cast and this movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, because Frank Darabont did both and he likes to work with a lot of the same actors. Oh, interesting. Okay, good to know. So Mrs. Carmody says, no, don't go out there. It's death out there. It's the end of days. Sally asks her to stop and Norton and Bud try to calm everybody down. Everyone warns the woman not to leave, but her eight-year-old is home alone watching her younger brother. She begs for help, asking, won't somebody here see a lady home? But the entire crowd stays silent. The woman says she hopes that they all rot in hell before wandering into the mist alone and disappears. Whew. Yeah, that's, that's tough. The first one, you're just like, oh, fuck. Like this. Yeah, goddamn. So inside, David comforts Billy, who is sobbing and uh, wants to go home. Just to remind everybody, remember, Billy is uh, David's son. Right? Yeah, he's about well, like six, maybe. Yeah, little kid. Yeah, maybe five or six. So uh, later, they're seated in one of the aisles with Sally, a young teacher named Amanda Dunfrey, Mrs. Repler. Uh, and then a woman named Hattie. So Mrs. Repler was that retired teacher. Yeah, she's a little bit older. Hattie's a little bit like older. Middle age. Yeah. Billy is sucking his thumb, which David says he hasn't done since he was two. Ollie comes to check on them. David asks Ollie for a blanket and Ollie gets up and goes to look in the loading dock for some furniture pads. David gets up to check on things in the store, leaving Billy with Hattie and Mrs. Repler. On the other side of the store, David overhears Brent Norton organizing a group who are planning to leave the store. So Brent Norton, guys, don't forget, is the uh, the next door neighbor yeah. slash attorney. Yeah, he's like a big. Uh, they keep referring to him as like a big city lawyer, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the some of the small town in Maine. That's right, because some of the locals, you know, as we all know, some of the locals uh, commonly don't like the uh, big city folk, right? And that's kind of the the tension between some of the people here. Yep. But there are some people who are kind of into this, you know, because he's a very he's a very commanding figure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he definitely has people's attention. That's right. A small group. So one of the group, uh, a biker says phones and radios are out, but they believe the mist will clear up and they'll be able to walk out. David heads into the back warehouse towards the loading dock, finding it full of smoke. Uh, from the store's backed up emergency generator. He shuts it off and in the darkened warehouse, he hits his head on a gate and then he slips and falls on the floor, cursing to himself. Back inside, Norton and his group are discussing plans. Norton believes it's a natural disaster, but not everyone agrees. 
Mrs. Carmody approaches and says it's judgment day and begins to lecture the group, saying they've brought it upon themselves with their lives of sin. Leaving the warehouse, David hears something big press up against the large warehouse door, you know, like one of those. Yeah, it's kind of like a big, like, like steel kind of garage type door. Yeah. Something starts banging against the door and it starts banging against the door so hard that it starts like making an indention, like it's pushing the door forward, you know? Yeah. It's whatever it is, is huge. Yeah. And so exiting the warehouse, he finds Ollie uh, along with Jim and Myron, two local rednecks on their way to check on the generator. David asked them if they heard a noise coming from the warehouse, but they didn't and they don't believe him. They but they go down to check for themselves against David's advice. The teenager bagger Norm suggests going outside to unblock the generator. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Ollie says it's fine. The food will keep. Right. He's saying well, we don't need the generator. Uh, and David tries desperately to convince them not to let Norton outside. Right. Because yeah. at this point, we know that somebody has been probably killed in this mist. Right. For the story that we heard from the guy running through the parking lot. Yeah. Right? Something happened. Something happened. There's something very powerful going on. And you let this little kid out. Yeah. Um, this kid's like 16, probably. Yeah. You've seen this kid. He's been in so many. Yeah. Movies. He was uh, actually Remy noted. He's uh, he's one of the kids from Major Pain. That's right. Yeah. Yes. A little like a uh, asshole. Kid. Yeah. I, I don't know. We don't know his name, do we? No, but he was just like a child actor in the 90s who just played a little asshole redhead of yes. a lot of different things yes like, yes and that's kind of what his character is here he's just looking the fucking yeah dickhead yeah like, he's a little shit yeah um he might have also been in ferris bueller's dad i can't remember but anyways yeah uh so instead of listening to david they mock him and jim says you're the you're a big shot artist with connections in hollywood and new york and all that but that don't make you better than anybody else not in my book David, yeah, and Jim and Myron are in like some kind of like work uniforms, like kind of like mechanic suits yeah, type outfits right. or yeah, or like HVAC or something. They really got a chip on their shoulder. They really do. Yeah. It's a little bit of a caricature of like a local, you mm-hmm. know, local yokel. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 David says that they're risking the boy's life for a generator that doesn't even matter. And Jim warns him to count his teeth next time he has something to say. So David is furious and Ollie tells him that in the store, Jim and Myron are scared and confused, but back in the warehouse, there's a problem they can solve. So they're going to fucking goddamn solve it. Right. So that is what is happening. Right. So Jim starts up the generator and opens the door enough for Norm to slide in under it. Uh, He calls David a pussy, Mm -hmm. this young Norm kid, kind of under his breath. And as he stands near the open door, he's grabbed by a giant tentacle folks giant green slimy Purpley. fucking the tentacle begins to drag norm out the door but david grabs him and pulls him the other way more tentacles begin to come inside as jim and myron just stare dumbfounded one of the tentacles opens up to reveal teeth around norm's leg tearing off a chunk of his thigh spraying blood everywhere as he just screams and writhes in pain yeah it kind of looks like giant razor sharp centipede legs or something yeah yeah these things are at least like three inches four inches long Mm -hmm. uh david yells for help and ollie goes for the fire axe just before another spiked tentacle rips off half of norm's chest right yeah it just takes like one of his pecs entirely and so as something you're noticing in this part of the movie is that ollie is it's like timid small you know kind of scared nerdy yeah thick glasses you know yeah he looks like a guy who would have got bullied a lot yeah for sure he's breaking the axe out of the glass but he's like you know he's kind of hitting it and kind of recoiling you know in fear because he's afraid of the glass but these other two guys the men you know the the big fucking tough guys are just terrified just watching the whole thing they're slack jawed yeah not doing a jack shit 
So Ollie takes a swing at the tentacle with an axe, but misses as it pulls Norm halfway out the door. More tentacles come through the door, searching and tearing into bags of dog food as Norm is dragged out into the mist. They manage to start the generator, uh, and as the tentacles pull back, David grabs an axe and chops off the tip of one of the tentacles, leaving it uh, writhing on the floor. Norm the whole time is just like begging and bleeding for help. Like, That's right. And he's trying to catch himself. He's like his whole body is out the door. Yeah. He's, he's hanging to, like, on hang for dear on life. His door for dear life. Yeah. It's really even though he's a little asshole, you feel real bad for him. Oh, yeah. And as David catches his breath, Jim begins to say he's sorry. He says that uh, he should have explained himself more clearly. You yeah. Know? He's like, you just said you heard something, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, but clearly David was like, you know, I told you explicitly what was going on. So David punches Jim in the face and just begins beating the shit out of him, uh, screaming, you assholes got that kid killed. You got that kid killed and I got his fucking blood on me. And as he punches him, Myron says, we didn't twist his arm. And David replies, he's a fucking kid and he's supposed to be stupid. What's your excuse? It's a good line. Yeah. He eventually stops beating on Jim. He does. He gets a good couple of swings in there. Yeah. It's like a real good one in the face and another good one in the stomach. Like So after Jim and Myron leave, David and Ollie discuss how to convince the rest of the customers to stay inside, assuming they won't believe them. And David asks Ollie, what the hell were those tentacles even attached to? Back in the store, David changes his bloody shirt to avoid scaring his son, Billy. He and Ollie, along with Jim and Myron, discuss how to tell everybody else what happened. He and Ollie, along with Jim and Myron, discuss how to tell everyone else what happened to Norm and keep the creatures out with the entire front of the store being plate glass, right? So that's something we need to kind of reiterate here is that, you know, and you'll see this in a lot of grocery stores, is right at the checkout, the whole wall to the front of the parking lot the store is all glass yeah so you can see everything that happens it's kind of a big movie screen Mm -hmm. this is kind of an old school looking grocery store which is another a slightly strange thing about this movie it feels like a period piece in some ways because all the cars are real old and like like the grocery store is real old school but then you'll notice like david has a cell phone and he mentions photoshop earlier when his poster gets destroyed oh interesting so it's like it's this weird like mix of the jeep that the mp drives and his uniform are outdated by like 40 years like he's dressed like a vietnam era mp oh interesting but then they also show humbies on the road so it's like this weird like they intentionally kind of like mixed it up why do you think they did that uh you know i think partially because darabont wanted to make it like a tribute to like uh 1950s like b monster movies okay and also because the book was set and written in 1980 yeah that that makes sense yeah they also use like 16 millimeter i think like fuji film like a specific type of film stock to give it like a because they were shooting it digitally and he said it just looked too pretty. Right, right, right. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Great info. All right. So David pulls Brent Norton aside to tell him about the incident in the loading dock. But Norton is convinced that the locals have banded together to trick him and make him look stupid. He says that David is trying to get revenge on him for a lawsuit that he filed against him the previous year and that they have a real problem uh, to deal with inside, you know, or they have that yeah. the, and that they have real problems to deal with inside. Yeah, Norton, by the way, just like to give you an idea, the entire cast, aside from him, is all pretty white. Yes. Uh, Norton is the only black actor in the movie. He's also like supposed to be a highly educated like New York lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so like there's clear like animosity between him and like the locals. And like, you know, he doesn't really trust them. And no, he doesn't at all. Uh, There's a couple extras who are not white, but they don't have any speaking parts. Yeah. So he knows that David has, you know, 
has some resentments towards him. And he also knows that the locals have their own thing against him because he's a big city lawyer, you know. Mm -hmm. So Norton says that he was a fool for believing that David was being kind to him earlier in the day and uh, that he's glad to see that that tree smashed his boathouse. Pleading with Norton, David says that he'll drag him out down to the loading dock and show him the blood and severed tentacle. He grabs him by the lapels, but Norton shoves him, yelling at David to get his hands off of him, threatening to sue him once again. Really just like not going to hear. Not hearing it at all. Yeah. So Ollie then calls all the customers around together, introducing David Drayton to the whole crowd and says that he has something to tell them. David explains to the crowd that he doesn't know what the mist is, but there are dangerous things inside of it. He tells him about what happened to Norm, but Norton shakes his head in disbelief while Bud begins to laugh, calling their claims lunacy and pointing out that Ollie is drinking, saying, from the look of it, the tentacles are coming out of the beer cans. So yeah, it's like he's had like one sip of a Budweiser. Right. Because he just watched this fucking kid get <laughs> annihilated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No one bothers to ask where Norm is either. Nobody does. <laughs> no one right. likes Norm. No one cares. Bud, uh, uh, just to clarify, I hope everybody knows and just remembers that Bud, right, is, the, is like the official manager. He's the store general manager. Yeah. yeah. So he's above Ollie. So David tells him not to take a uh, David tells him not to take his word for it and to go look for himself back at the loading dock. David, Bud, Ollie and others come upon the blood stains and severed tentacle. The biker pokes the tentacle uh, with a mop handle and it begins to wriggle on the floor before dissolving into a steaming puddle of goo. Yeah, it just starts to melt right there, which like spooky. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, now their evidence is gone. Too. Right. Exactly. Like, they can't show it to uh, fucking Norton. Back inside, Bud addresses the crowd saying, it appears we have a problem of some magnitude here. Mm-hmm. David and Ollie direct the customers to barricade the, the glass storefront, stacking bags of dog food and anything they can find while taping the windows. In the bathroom, Mrs. Carmody is kneeling down in the stall. She believes that by saving even one, her life will have counted and she will earn her place by God's side. Yeah. She also looks real fucking creepy with like the tears and just the can't lit by candlelight. Right. She's yeah. like he's telling a campfire ghost story. Yeah. Like. Just hanging over a toilet. Yeah. Amanda Dunfrey walks in, which uh, just to remind everybody, Amanda Dunfrey played She's by the younger uh, blonde teacher played by Laurie Holden, who was Andrea in The Walking Dead. Right. And we should also mention there was like a little bit of a moment between her and David. And I don't think we mentioned, but there was a little bit. They caught each other's eyes. Mm hmm. And, you know, that's just something that happened earlier. Yeah. Because they're both attractive people. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's tough, you know. Uh, it's, it's real tough, tough out there. <laughs> so Amanda, Amanda Dunfrey walks in on her, interrupting Mrs. Carmody's dialogue. Amanda says that she needs to use the bathroom. And Mrs. Carmody tells her to have at it. Amanda says, you know, it's okay to be afraid. And if you need a friend to talk to, suddenly Mrs. Carmody cuts her off and says, I have a friend. God up above. I talk to him every day. Don't you condescend to me. Not ever. You don't mock me. Amanda says, she's like, no, you got it all wrong. You know, she's like, and Mrs. Carmody says, the day I need a friend like you, I'll just have myself a little squat and shit one out. Wow. Totally unnecessary. It's wild when you hear somebody say something like that fucking crude and offensive and <laughs> crass. Yeah. And just, you're just like, what the it's also fuck? A, it's also a mixture of like being a sweet old lady and also being a real bitch you know to I be mean, like just like a mean old lady yeah but but like the idea of the language of being like i'll have myself a little squat and then i'll shit one out you yeah. know what i mean it's like a weird combination of both like kind of a sweet way of saying it yeah also and really also being mean. the very christian like person yes. you know constantly praying and talking to god yeah 
So she exits the bathroom and Amanda's just kind of left like, what the fuck? So back in the store, Norton is convincing whoever will listen that David and the others are either delusional or just lying. Ollie says that denial is a powerful thing, while Mrs. Carmody warns that there's no defense against the will of God and no court of appeals in hell. Norton gathers a group of skeptics uh, while the other customers work on a barricade and a few people begin to listen intensely to Mrs. Carmody as she goes on preaching about the end of days. Dan Miller. Uh, who's Dan Miller again? Dan Miller is the guy who ran in uh, yes. with the blood on him from the so, street. That's right. About the mist. Yes. Dan Miller asks what she's proposing and she says that they need to prepare to meet their maker. Jim drunkenly threatens her in an attempt to shut her up. Yeah, I forget what he says. He's going to like... Uh put his boot up her ass or yeah something. he says yeah. uh yeah my your ass will be met with my 10 inch work boot the dumbest threat <laughs> yeah and jim is one of those rednecks just to remind you guys so more people listen to mrs carmody and she he's goes he's a main redneck though he is the main redneck you know absolutely but i mean like uh the state of maine oh it's a different style than the southern yeah kind of backwoodsy but uh but yeah yeah not in the south he doesn't have the accent mm-hmm uh, more people listen to Mrs. Carmody as she goes on preaching, suggesting that anyone who doubts her should go outside. Amanda tells her to stop because she's scaring the children. And Mrs. Carmody says they should be scared going up to a little girl and telling her that God is stern and vengeful and that they've been mocking him. And now he's demanding retribution and blood. This was a moment where she goes up and she starts touching this little kid's chin, you know, and her jaw and kind of like stroking her face. That was a moment yeah. where I was just like, um, yeah, I don't. I as a mother, I'd be like, "Do not touch my child." Yeah, but uh, you know, I think the justification for that might be that the woman was actually kind of into what Mrs. Carmody was saying. Well, I think doesn't she become like one of the first? Yeah, I think that she does. Yeah. Uh, so that was, but that, in that moment, I was like, yeah. "Why are you letting her touch your child?" Yeah, if she had done that to uh, you know, Billy, she would have got knocked out. That's but- right. So uh, she's going on and on about retribution and payment in blood when Amanda steps in and slaps her in the face. Mrs. Carmody wipes blood from her mouth, holding her finger and saying another down payment. You know, she holds up the blood and warns that they will come tonight and take someone when they do. Ollie threatens to tape Mrs. Carmody's mouth shut. And Mrs. Carmody tells Amanda, you'll be on your knees to me before this is over. She finally wanders off. Ollie tells the crowd that Mrs. Carmody is known around town for being unstable. Billy finds the soldiers and asks why their friends don't just come out and rescue them. But they say the phones and radios are down. Billy tells David that he doesn't like the scary lady, uh, but he says that she's just scared herself. Right. Yeah. Talking about Mrs. Carmody. That's right. Yeah, David's like, oh, yeah, she's she's just scared. You know? mm-hmm. That's her problem. That's right. That's the issue. He asks if his mom is okay, and David says that she's fine and promises to get them back to her. But we all know that it's probably not looking good for the mom. You know, she's out she's of the alone mist. by the house. Yeah. Back at the storefront, Dan Miller says that uh, they have knives and mop buckets full of lighter fluid to make torches and asks Bud if the store has a gun. And a man, Mr. Cornell, says that he has a shotgun in his truck and offers to go out for it before Amanda pulls a revolver from her purse, explaining that her husband has her carry it around. They ask if anybody can shoot it. And this is when we find out that Ollie, after he takes the gun, is a uh, target shooting champion of 94. Yeah pretty impressive oh yeah state champion i mean ollie just keeps getting better and better throughout the movie up front norton has organized a group of people who are planning to leave the store to find help and seek rescue nobody can convince him to change his mind so david asks him to tie a rope to his waist so that they can know that he got at least 300 feet norton's not going to do that 
but the biker volunteers instead. He says he uh, he offers to wear the rope and go to Cornell's truck to get a shotgun, planning to cut the line loose if it runs out. Right. Mm-hmm. He's got a big old knife, big old knife. So David attempts one more time to pursue Norton to uh, not to go, asking what if he's wrong? And Norton says, then I guess the joke would be on me after all. Pretty familiar after living through 2020. Mm-hmm. People are just like, you know, masks, vaccines, they just don't work. Right. They're not real. Oh, yeah. They'll actually kill you. Yeah. Any movie like this where there's some kind of like freaky paranormal like thing or like a virus, there's always like these people who are just in total denial. Yeah. It's like very reminiscent of the mm-hmm. pandemic. Yeah. It was harder to buy in 2007. Right. Now, which is like, yep, that Absol- makes sense. Of course. So then Norton leaves leading a group of followers out the door. Yeah, he's got like seven or eight people. Yeah, and he says that the only other black guy in the store. That's that's true. Uh, he says they'll send back help, and Mrs. Carmody replies that they'll all die out there. The group wanders into the mist-filled parking lot as the biker turns to tell Mrs. Carmody that he believes in God, but that he isn't the bloodthirsty asshole that she makes him out to be. She tells him to take it up with the devil before he steps outside. Norton leads the group through the mist-filled parking lot, and the biker follows behind them while David, Bud, and Dan Miller feed the rope out to him. Suddenly, the rope goes taut, right? And a moment later, it begins running out at an extremely fast speed, burning David and the other's hands as they try to hold on to it. And they all use, like, aprons to kind of, you know, shield their hands from it. They reach the end of the rope and are nearly pulled out the door when the other end is pulled high into the air. A moment later, the line goes slack, dropping to the floor. David starts to pull the rope back inside. And as he does, it starts to come back covered in blood. In the parking lot, we see that the lower... just pulling this bloody rope in and everyone's freaking out. Yeah. It's a cool moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As everybody's just watching as like more and more blood on the rope. In the parking lot, we see the lower half of the biker's body being dragged back to the store. So just his waist and legs. Yeah. Waist and legs with guts hanging out. Mm -hmm. And Uh, everybody fucking just screams the whole place. This is a big dude with a big knife. Oh, yeah. And it happened very quickly. Yeah. Uh, So they cut the rope, shut the door, and Mrs. Carmody addresses the crowd saying, now do you see? Now do you believe? Later, Jim and Myron are setting up work lights in the back of the store in case of an emergency or if something gets inside. In the back locker room, Jessup checks on Sally and asks. Jessup is uh, the private. That's yeah. right. The private One who the military guys. That's right. These uh, these little lovebirds that have the moment earlier. Sally asks him why he never asked her out in high school. And he says he was just stupid. And they begin to make out before she pulls away and he apologizes. And uh, but she says it's OK. She just didn't want it to happen in this shitty little locker room. You know, they decide to just spend some time in there alone for a while. So they they hang out there and, you know, develop uh, some feelings and further their uh, their love story, right? Mm-hmm. So back at the storefront, night has fallen. Ollie, Dan Miller, Bud, and the others are looking out at the parking lot through openings uh, and these stacks of dog food. Yeah, they've got their dog food barricade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, and, and, and Bud... Big old bags of Purina. That's right. And Bud goes to uh, bite into a piece of chicken when an enormous flying insect lands hard on the other side of the glass, spooking the fuck out of him, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, he backs up. He falls on the floor. And as they look on, more and more of the insects resembling these giant wasp-like flies with huge stingers begin to congregate, uh, smacking up against the window you know, on the other side. Um, and inside, everyone grabs flashlights and begins to shine them on the insects before Ollie yells, holy shit, as a huge 
a pterodactyl-like creature with leathery wings, huge claws, and a curved beak swoops down and grabs one of the insects, right? Yeah, so now it's very clear we're in a monster movie. It mm-hmm. was kind of like, what were these tentacles before? You know, what right. grabbed the biker? Now we're seeing like, oh shit, there's all kinds of creatures. Uh-huh, there's some real shit going on here. Uh, so more of the pterodactyl creatures come slamming into the windows, causing the glass to crack and spiderweb, right? Myron and Jim scramble to turn on the work lights at the back of the store, just as Ollie realizes that the light is attracting all the insects and creatures. But that doesn't stop, you know, Myron and Jim from turning on every single fucking work light in the place. Oh, yeah. They're going to, you know, they got they got a task. Uh huh. Ollie and David attempt to douse the lights up front while everyone else runs screaming towards the back of the store. More of the creatures slam up against the store. One breaks through, forming a hole and sending the insects inside. David and a few others run to the mop buckets, turning the lighter fluid-soaked mops into makeshift torches. Back near the front, one of the insects flies past several people before Amanda swats it down with a rake and stomps it. Another insect lands on Sally's chest and immediately stings her in the neck with a scorpion-like tail. She throws it off, and Jessup rushes to her side as she convulses on the floor just as one of the pterodactyl creatures climbs through the glass and into the store. Amanda screams at Ollie to shoot it, but he says he'll smash the window and the creature begins to flap his wings, tearing through the store in pursuit of the insects. Ollie chases the creature with a gun while David and Amanda struggle to get a torch lit. Very tense moment. She cannot get this fucking lighter lit. Yeah. The thing is just soaked in lighter fluid. Right. And she is screaming, trying to get it lit. Yeah. And these fucking pterodactyl things, they're like big giant pterodactyl bat creatures. like the size of like a golden retriever or something. Uh Uh-huh. Like giant wings. And this is a total chaos moment. Everybody's in panic. Oh yeah. Because these bugs are flying around. These fucking things are getting inside. Uh huh. Uh, the creature jumps on a man's back and bites down, ripping a chunk of flesh from the back of his neck. Uh, David finally gets the torch lit and shoves it into the monster's face. Meanwhile, Sally is on the floor with her face and neck swelling up like a huge balloon. It's not looking good for Sally, the cashier. No, it's already like twice the size they should normally be. Her it's fucking head is just like it's nasty, folks. So Jessup can't do anything but watch her die while another man, Joe Eagleton, lights a torch, but then trips over the lighter fluid bucket and uh, spills it all over the floor and himself, setting himself ablaze. Just fucking chaos on top of chaos. fucking just madness. So Dan Miller yells for the fire extinguisher as Joe Eagleton stumbles around engulfed in flames. Back up front, David is still battling the creature with the torch when Amanda squirts lighter fluid all over it, setting it on fire before it attempts to fly away. David chases the flaming creature through the store, swinging at it with the mop handle and eventually catching it and beating it repeatedly. The others manage to extinguish Joe Eagleton just before one of the stinging insects lands on Mrs. Carmody. It crawls up her torso, brandishing its stinger and ready to strike as she prays for God's will to be done. As she does, the insect flies away, leaving her unharmed. And everyone's watching this. And this is, I think, kind of a turning point. Yeah, this is definitely a a, uh, looks good for Mrs. Carmody. So the pterodactyl creature that Ollie is chasing finally lands for a moment and he's able to shoot it while David continues to beat another one that's on fire. The creature Ollie shot is still alive and starts crawling towards Billy as it gets in its pouncing range. David is able to pull Billy out of the line of fire just in time for Ollie to take the shot and kill it. Now we're in the aftermath. And he was really, he was beating that one with the mop handle. Like, oh yeah. He I, he really just was. like fucking hitting it and hitting it. Like, yeah. They cut like, away and they cut back and, and he's, he's still like, beating still it. it. <laughs> uh, I did think in that moment, I was like, this would be a funny comedy moment to just have him doing this for a, about an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shaun of the dead style. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the aftermath, Sally is dead. 
the cashier. People are moaning in pain. You can hear a guy fucking screaming, and I think that that was probably Joe, the guy who got caught on fire. Yeah. People moaning in pain, and a woman turns to Mrs. Carmody saying that she was right, that she told them that they would come at night and that someone would die. In the parking lot, we hear some kind of creature grunting as the biker's lower half is dragged off. In the aisle, Amanda attempts to comfort Billy, right, before little Billy, before uh, she and David discuss the madness of the night's events. Ollie informs them that Joe Eagleton is getting worse. This is the man who was burned severely. He's covered in third degree burns and says, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know anything. could." So so this is when they go into the room, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they go into this back room and they see Joe and he's laid out. Yep. And he's covered in fucking burns. And he says, I didn't know that anything could hurt like this. And he, he, he begs for them to uh, shoot him or let him do it himself. Mm-hmm. Back in the aisle, Amanda asks Hattie if she'll watch Billy only to discover that she has OD'd on pain pills. So Hattie was probably uh, intentionally. Yeah. So she, she was the middle-aged lady mm-hmm. who was hanging out. So a small group led by David discusses going to the neighborhood pharmacy in search of painkillers and medical supplies for Joe Eagleton. Uh, the plan is to hit the pharmacy and then try to reach David's land cruiser and attempt to uh, escape. Miller and Bud are skeptical of the plan. They have they only have 10 rounds left in the gun, but David says that the best reason to leave is Mrs. Carmody, and he calls her our very own Jim Jones. He says that her congregation has four believers now, and she'll have four more by morning. And uh, when the next night comes and the creatures return, they'll have to worry about who she's going to sacrifice to make it all better. Amanda cannot accept this. She doesn't want to believe it. And she asks Miller if he has any faith in humanity at all. Miller says, none whatsoever. <laughs> which I loved. And she uh, she argues that they're in a civilized society. David says, sure, as long as the machines are working and you can dial 911, but you take those things away, you throw people in the dark, you scare the shit out of them. No more rules. You'll see how primitive they get. Miller says, if you scare people enough, you can get them to do anything. They'll turn to whoever offers a solution or whatever. David says that they don't need to decide anything right now, but their test run will be to the pharmacy. Billy is upset and crying, right? Little Billy begging his dad not to leave. But David says that he's just going next door and promises to return. Mm -hmm. I feel bad for Billy, but I'm also like a little crying kid's annoying. Yeah, right. Correct. But I mean, it's like the fucking most insane shit. Yeah. He was almost murdered by a pterodactyl. Absolutely appropriate (laughs) performance wise. And yeah. For the script, but I'm also just like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, I liked him. I actually thought he was a good actor, too. He was. Yeah. He asked Amanda to take care of Billy if anything happens to him and gives her the keys to the Land Cruiser. Learning of the plan, Mrs. Carmody asked David if he's anxious to make his boy an orphan. He announces that they're going to the pharmacy for medical supplies and to see if people are trapped inside and need help. Ollie says that if anything happens, they'll come right back. And Mrs. Carmody says they'll bring the fiends of hell with them and members of her congregation agree. And you can see it's already grown. Oh, yeah. She's like she's got a good like 10 people, maybe. Yeah, she's starting to go full cult leader status. So David says if they want to stop them, they'll have to explain to Bobby Eagleton why they won't get the painkillers for his brother. And Bobby, armed with a broom handle with a knife duct taped to it says he's going he'll go alone if he has to oh yeah just the nothing says confidence like the homemade spear 
That's goddamn right. So Mrs. Carmody says he'll die out there and then he'll be ripped to shreds and that David's pride will bring the monsters back for all of them. She's going on a rant about hubris and pride when Mrs. Repler pelts her in the head with a can of peas and yells at her to shut up, you miserable buzzard. Great shot uh, on Mrs. Repler's part. Mm -hmm. And this is also the second time that Mrs. Carmody has been struck. Doesn't she say like... uh... You know, they st- lines like they stone people in the Bible, don't they? Yeah. And she's like, and I got lots of peas. Yeah. Uh, which I thought she. Moment. Yeah. It's a great moment, which I thought she would call her peas stones. But she just went literal with peas. Yeah. Got to make do with what you have when the miss rolls in, you know. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can't always think so fast. So uh, David asks if they'll get help from the army and Jessup volunteers. Right. That's something we also want to keep in mind here, that the these army guys, you know, really have not been participating in the protection. Right. No, they've been pretty much useless. Yeah. And they're always they always have to be like asked directly, like, hey, we, we need your help. Yeah. And they were like uh, they were trying to go on leave too, like they were like stopping in the grocery store to get something before the bus was going to take them to safety to wherever else they were going. Mrs. Repler turns to Jim. And uh, and Jim was is one of the rednecks, right? Sorry, yeah. I'm just trying to remember mm-hmm. and says that uh, she had him in school and he says, yes, me and my sister Pauline. And she replies, a pair of underachievers after you, Jim. Just a totally unnecessary burn. <laughs> yeah. Just eviscerate this guy's confidence before they're going to go on this mission. Right. And did she have reason to do that? Had she seen any uh, of uh, his cowardice earlier? She was his teacher. She's known he was a dumbass for his whole life. Hell yeah, dude. So the group head outside armed with flashlights, sharpened mop handles, axes and knives and make their way through the mist towards the pharmacy. They enter the darkened pharmacy, discovering that its front door was propped open uh, and the place is filled with mist. They find the medical supplies, but before they can leave, Miller, Jim and Jessup discover huge spider webs and hear something skittering around in the dark. Jim looks up and notices that people are hung from the ceilings in the webs. Suddenly, something grabs him. Very creepy. Very creepy. Suddenly, something grabs him, and he begins to scream, right? Uh, It's the MP from earlier, covered in spiderwebs. And he says, through just pain and through this web that's like over his mouth, he says, I'm sorry. Help me. As they attempt to pull him down, he says, it's our fault. It's our fault. He begins, uh, his skin begins begins to pulsate, and he says, I can feel them before baby spiders begin to burst through the boils on his face and chest. Suddenly, a huge spider with a skull-like face drops down in front of Jim, and Jim just screams, because he's a fucking coward, you know? Doesn't even do anything about it. Ollie manages to shoot it, but another spider fires a strand of silk at David's direction. He moves out of the way, kind of dodging it matrix style. And uh, when the web hits the floor, it begins to burn through it like acid. Yeah. This scene uh, owes a lot to Ridley Scott's alien. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. A little bit to slither. Oh, nice. You seen alien. I've seen alien. I've seen yeah. slither. We've done it. You know, they, they get the face or they wrap the people up and then the things burst out of them. And yes. They got the acid blood. It did feel very familiar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, more spiders appear and they shoot uh, webbing all over the place. A spider yanks Bobby Eagleton's uh, spear from his hand before it shoots a web around his leg. The web burns through, severing his leg at the thigh. Right. The MP is screaming and convulsing before he falls forward onto the floor, causing his back to explode 
as hundreds of tiny spiders crawl out of his torso. Yeah, he's just like a pile of blood with ribs at this point. Like, yes. It's pretty And this did, this did remind me of Slither when uh, she Brenda. The, Brenda falls over and then all the fucking things. The slugs. Yeah. Uh, another one of the group gets a web shot directly on his face and he begins to melt it off. Right. Yeah, uh, this is just a random guy who was with him that like you. Yeah. You kind of didn't hear much from. Yeah. He was just looking at, him but they needed, they needed some extra chaos here. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Repler is stopped by a giant spider. This is this old retired lady, right? Yeah. Why was she on this mission? I don't know. I think because she had a, a pretty good understanding of um, supplies, medical stuff. Uh, and makes like, sense. Yeah. And the names and what, where they would be maybe. So Mrs. Repler is stopped by a giant spider, but she pulls out an aerosol can and a lighter and she torches the fuck out of this thing. Yeah. Rambo style. I mean, arachnophobia she is, style. Oh, hell yeah, dude. On the ground, hundreds of tiny spiders begin to crawl all over the man with the melting face as a large one jumps on his chest and bites into his neck. Outside the front door, a nearly five foot wide spider stops the group in their tracks. Ollie goes to shoot it. But the gun is empty, and Miller takes a mop handle and a, uh, a mop handle spear and impales it, lifting it up and tossing it aside. Yeah, these are, by the way, the most horrific alien-looking demon spiders you've ever seen. They've got like skull-like faces, and they're just yeah, they're very scary, fucking terrifying. Yeah, but it was a pretty badass move of Miller to just fucking spike it and toss it's it true. aside. So inside, Jessup and David realize that Bobby Eagleton is dead. Uh, so oh, I'm sorry. This is back in the store, right? Yeah, they're still inside the store. They're trying to kind of drag him, but they realize his legs gone and all his blood's out. That's right. So and they uh, they leave his body to be swarmed by spiders as they run back towards the supermarket. Back at the supermarket, the remaining customers and staff wait in silence before Jim and the rest of the group run up and begin pounding on the glass, screaming for them to open the door. Jim is sobbing hysterically and screaming, they're all dead. And David grabs Billy and the crowd look out, look on in shock. Mrs. Carmody, who had opposed the expedition on the grounds that it would waste more lives, uses this failure to increase her influence by offering protection and expiation from divine wrath to new converts who repeat the word expiation back to her, right? Mm-hmm. At this point... Right. It's been it's, uh, we it's been two days have passed. Yeah. Right. So after the math, after or in the aftermath, after the pharmacy, uh, we do do a little fade. And there's like a two day jump. Yeah. And they, is this where they say that, like, oh, by the way, Joe Eagleton didn't make it anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So and then they just kind of like, yeah, they mentioned that Joe died. Yeah. After <laughs> they went through to go through all that madness. Uh, specifically to keep that guy alive. Yeah, which it wasn't looking good. No, it was not looking good. Uh, he had like straight up Freddy Krueger face. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was bad. So Jim has now joined them and is fervently yelling expiation, hallelujah, hallelujah, back to Mrs. Carmody. So this is that mm-hmm. uh, main redneck guy. So now he's fucking joined Mrs. Carmody. Yeah, he's con- he's been converted. He's just a fucking scared little boy. So David, Ollie, Amanda, and Mrs. Repler, Bud, and Cornell decide that they'd rather risk making a run for David's SUV than staying with Miss uh, Carmody and, and her congregation. David says he wants to stock to that. He, uh, David says that he wants to talk to the soldiers and find out what they know about the mist, recalling the MP, uh, what the MP at the pharmacy said. Right? Said, "I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's our fault." Yeah. Meanwhile, Mrs. Carmody is reading from the Bible in an enraptured audience. David finds Jessa by himself and and he says, uh, okay, so yeah, um, 
that moments later, David finds Jessup by himself, and he says that he hasn't seen his friends. He asks him about the mist, telling him what the MP said. Miller says that they've checked everywhere but the loading dock for other soldiers, and so they go to head back into the loading dock, and Jim notices uh, that they're going down there, and he becomes suspicious. In the loading dock, they find that the other two soldiers have hung themselves. Jessup begins muttering that he didn't think that they'd do it, and David demands answers about the Arrowhead project when Jim pops up screaming that we got you now, you son of a bitch, and he drags Jessup up back into the store. Jim yells that it was him, that it was them, the soldiers, the Arrowhead project, who brought the wrath of God down on them. Mrs. Carmody addresses Jessup. Is she married? Mrs. Carmody? Yeah. I don't know, but they always refer to her as Mrs. Yeah, who the fuck married that lady? Uh, probably some, I, I don't know, somebody who hates his life or <laughs> <Yeah>. is dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mrs. Carmody addresses Jessup and he whines that it wasn't his fault that he was stationed there, and, and he, but he was not involved. She grabs him by the throat and tells him to stop your chicken shit whining or I will cut your, your uh, puling. What's puling? Uh, I had to look it up. I'd never heard the word before. We don't need it. Somebody knows. Yeah. yeah. In context, puling. Yeah. yeah. Bad in a way. Yeah. Uh, she says uh, that she'll cut your puling tongue out and demands answers. Jessup says that he heard stuff like how they thought there were other dimensions and they wanted to make a window, quote unquote, to see what was on the other side. And Carmody says, well, maybe your window turned out to be a door, she says to the rest of the audience, you know. And he says it wasn't him, but the scientist. Carmody calls Jessup a Judas and says they're being punished for God against the they're being punished for going against the will of God, walking on the moon or splitting his atoms or stem cells and abortions, getting the congregation. The congregation is now whipped up into a fervor. She says it's all Jessup's fault. Yeah, it's like a Pentecostal church in there. Mm-hmm. And the, the crowd goes to grab Jessup. David attempts to intervene, but is punched in the face. Someone in the crowd punches Jessup as well, and they shove him into a butcher's knife. And this guy with the butcher's knife stabs him in the stomach. He's one- the butcher. He's the butcher. Yeah. He stabs him in the stomach, and he stabs him again, and he stabs him again. And it's just fucking brutal, man. They're just mm-hmm. murdering this man. In front of a whole crowd of people at a grocery store. Mrs. Carmody screams, feed him to the beast. Let the abomination smell his blood. As the congregation lift up Jessup uh, above their heads, carry him to the front of the store and shove him outside. Jim locks him outside, staring as Jessup pounds helplessly on the door with bloody fists. He hears the sound of a monster behind him and turns to see a 30 foot tall praying mantis type creature approaching from the mist he begs to let them back in he turns and puts his bloody hand up against the against the window and he says to jim he says uh please something like that right yeah and the creature reaches with a giant crab-like pincher and pulls him up into the air and into the mist carmody says that the beast is fed and will leave them alone for the night but tomorrow they'll have to wait and see that was a very intense scene. Yeah. The movie just keeps getting darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, relentless. This movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, later that night, Billy makes David promise that he won't let the monsters get him. Right. He's just this little boy. He's just begging his dad, please, no matter what, don't let the monsters get me. The next morning, 
Uh, as David and the group prepare to sneak out of the store, they are stopped by Miss Carmody, who accuses them of stealing food. She says she won't allow them to leave, that it is against God's will, as her followers, including the knife-wielding butcher, begin to surround David's group. Carmody yeah, says Jim pulls out a knife, too. That's right. And uh, Carmody says that she's proven herself and asks, what's the matter? Don't they believe in God? As she asks, she takes a swig from a big glass uh, bottle of milk. Yeah, fucking just psychopath. Really, like that was a good touch that really added to the fucking yeah, like, instability. Drinking milk like a fucking maniac. <laughs> uh, oh man, narcissistic personality yeah. disorder really just can yeah, run amok. It's peaking. So David says that no one has interfered with her, and that they're ask that they're only asking for the same privilege. Mrs. Carmody says that it was David's group who brought this upon her followers, saying, they mock us. They mock our God, our faith, our values, our very lifestyle. They mock our humility and our piousness. They piss on us and laugh. She says the blood of human sacrifice must come from them as Jim pulls a knife and her followers continue to circle David's group. David grabs a mop handle spear and says, you try it. And as Miss as Miss Carmody yells, we want the boy. Billy has been chosen by the group to be delivered as the next sacrifice to appease the monster and her congregation to be begin to attack David's group as she screams to grab the boy. Mrs. Carmody screams, get the whore too, referring to Amanda as David fends off the butcher and the others with a mop handle. As the crowd descends on Amanda and Billy, Mrs. Carmody screams, kill them, kill them all. Just before Ollie fires a shot, shatters the milk bottle, and Mrs. Carmody falls to her knees, shot in the stomach. Yeah. And we see the fucking smoke clearing from Ollie's pistol. Her congregation scatters as Ollie aims again and then shoots her in the head. Which <laughs> so satisfying. So good. Yeah. Like, so good. You just look. Look, finally. Yeah. yeah. Should have happened sooner. Right. It wasn't, and it was just like, uh, it was such a sudden moment. It wasn't like, you didn't see it coming at all. No. You know? And it was like, and it's such a bold fucking move on Ollie's part, but the like absolute only thing that could be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, he is, you know, he's not the type to want to murder somebody. No. You no. Know? He's clearly one of the smartest, most rational people. He's been, he's, he's been the best so yeah. far. And Jim and Butcher, Jim and the Butcher drop their knives as the rest of the followers cower in fear and move back to the back of the store. And this is most of the people, by the way, that her group was big. Huge. Like she got most of 20, them going. 20, 30 people. Ollie says to David, I killed her. David says, thank you, Ollie. And the group make their way towards the door, uh, towards the front door, while Mrs. Carmody's follower called them murderers. Ollie says he wouldn't have shot her if there had been any other way. And David replies, that's why I said thank you. As they unlock the door and they run outside. On the floor, a pool of blood forms around Mrs. Carmody as her followers sob. As the group makes its way through the parking lot, Myron trips and hurts his ankle. Bud and Cornell get on either side of Myron and help him across the parking lot while Ollie reaches the Land Cruiser. Ollie opens up the door and uh, turns back as the others watch him. And he has a little smile on his face, but then he turns around and he's grabbed by one of the, by the giant, uh, one of the giant mantis creatures. Yeah, it's a giant crab mantis thing. And this moment fucking sucks, folks, because mm -hmm. uh, Ollie fucking ruled 
and he saved the day and he's uh, just torn to shreds just like everybody else. At the same time, one of the giant spiders from the pharmacy jumps on, uh, jumps and tackles Myron. The rest of the group watch in horror as the giant creature takes a bite out of Ollie, who tosses the gun, uh, landing it on the hood of David's Land Cruiser. David, Billy, Dan Miller, Amanda, and Irene Repler reach David's car. But uh, Bud makes it back to the store's entrance while the giant spiders converge on Cornell, tackling him uh, as he screams. Before they leave... Yeah, it was too bad. We liked him, too. Yeah, he was great. A lot of good characters fucking dying, like just dropping like flies. Before they leave, David reaches out of the car to grab the gun, slamming the door, sh- slamming the door just in time to avoid one of the spiders. Um, he starts the car... Wait, hold on. Do we mention that the spider is... It lands on the hood and then crawls over. Yeah. Did we then- mention that? Mm, no but well what happens right is a fucking he the spider doesn't get him yeah the spider doesn't get him uh, it's a close call <laughs> yeah so he uh he starts the car turning the floodlights on and they head off dramatic music plays as bud and the remaining customers look on from inside the store as the land cruiser passes by yeah this is real fucking music this woman's just like fucking half singing half wailing like yeah yeah it's very dramatic it sounds like uh gregorian chant for the apocalypse or something yes like. yes so driving through the mist david finds his home destroyed and stephanie his wife dead attached to the house and encased in spider webs as he looks on david says i told her i'd fix it referring to the window smashed by his grandfather's tree devastated brutal it's a really sad moment everybody in the car is 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 really kind of sitting in this moment with him um devastated he drives away uh from town passing a school bus with a kid inside covered in spider webs and a hundred foot tall six-legged beast with tentacles hanging from its uh hanging from it and smaller flying creatures circling around it yeah, it's like so high up in the air. There's like those fucking pterodactyl things. You can just barely see them real tiny circling yeah. it. It's like when you see a it's like when you see like a fucking whale, you know, like in, mm. in uh, like a nature show and it's got those little remoras. Yeah, the little remoras circling around it. Yeah. Um thing so, kind of reminded me of the ATAT from Star Wars. Yes, very much so. But like but a, f- five times longer legs and yes. six of them and tentacles. Right. And a, and a, a living creature. Yeah. Uh, so that That's thing, same, similar shape, similar shape. Yes. And, uh, so that thing just walks over their car, uh, as they all kind of watch it go. Eventually the car driving through the mist runs out of gas, kind of in the middle of what seems like maybe a field. We don't really know with no means of escaping the mist. The adults decide, you know, having access to this, uh, this gun, this revolver that they're going to end their lives. So we get a shot of uh outside the car yeah they're all just kind of like looking at each other like fuck mm-hmm. yeah yeah then it cuts outside billy the car. billy's asleep the kid he's kind of starting to wake up a little bit yeah billy just wakes up and you see his eyes like widen and mm-hmm. then and then it cuts to outside the car david shoots billy uh we don't see this happen we just hear the shots and see the the flashes of light uh, in the car uh and the other three survivors he kills them all we cut back into the, we cut back into the car, and he's just fucking devastated. I mean, he's screaming. He's just screaming because yeah, he's, he's going full Nicholas Cage. Yeah, his brain can't process that kind of trauma, you know. Yeah. And it's really he does a fucking great job in this moment. But uh, then the uh, so he gets out of the car. He hears the the sounds of creatures in the distance, and he starts screaming for them to come and get him. 
and um yeah he's, he's they only had four bullets and there's five of them so he's just you know mercy killed everyone then he's gonna let the fucking creatures tear him to shreds yeah and uh the the but the mist suddenly dissipates uh revealing the vanguard of a u.s army armored column using flamethrowers to exterminate the creatures and restoring order david seeing that the army has also rescued survivors including the woman from the beginning who uh, left the first woman to leave the store to go find her children. Yep. Carol. That's uh, not her name in this, but that's her name in walking dead. That's, that's right. People would know her from. She's just staring at him as they drive by. Right. David realizes that he killed his son and fellow survivors as they were just moments away from rescue. He drops to his knees, screaming in despair. More armored vehicles and helicopters roll by as the mist clears, revealing the light of day. And that is the end of the film. Fucking brutal. And brutal. like he he kills them like 40 seconds before yeah. this fucking military column shows up. Yeah. And they're like, just as they got like guys walking next to tanks, just flamethrowing the creatures. Like, uh-huh. yeah. Yep. Yep. One of the bleakest endings to a movie. He only has four bullets can only kill four people and then go sacrifice himself and did it all for nothing. Yeah. Would have been, everyone would have been saved that they had just <laughs> taken a moment and said, well, like, let's see if yeah. maybe we could just chill in the car. They did it really fast. Yeah. I think that, uh, at least could have waited for their car to be surrounded by fucking creatures that yeah. were in sight. Cause you can shoot people pretty quickly. Yeah. But goddamn. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it's a brutal fucking ending to it. Yeah. Film. Yeah. Stephen King, like he, you know, he was super impressed by the ending cause Darabont wrote the ending. Oh really? Yeah. In the ending of the story, apparently he just kind of thinks about it, mm-hmm. you know? Right. He just realizes like, Oh, they have four bullets left. And it was like, just kind of leaves it open ended. And he was like, nah, we're going to, we're going to take this to the worst, most tragic and horrifying conclusion oh, that God there could damn. possibly be to this story. Yeah. It's fucked, man. God damn. It like, it's like <laughs> a fucking gut punch and a nut punch. And it's, it's just like, it's, fucking yeah. like rips your heart out all at once. It's a bold move to make too, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, actually, uh, cause to go that dark, I mean, it's like, you know, People not I really like done much in Hollywood. It's not. It's, it's not. Maybe become a, like, I don't know, a little more acceptable and stuff like Game of Thrones, like started just killing off the main characters. And, right. But you were not seeing a lot of that in 2007. No, no. It definitely. Yeah, it definitely has changed. Yeah. Like there used to be that like every lead character had to be like likable and the fucking, you know, and the movie needed to end on a an up note. Yeah, but that's really changed a lot. Even a lot, if a of, lot of bad stuff happens, something good had to happen at the end, and it's yes. just like, <sighs> yeah, no, you were just getting, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's like usually monster movies are not this dark. No, 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 you know, no, no, no. Usually, no. like kind of a little scary, fun, maybe right. Often slightly cheesy. Yeah, no, there's horrible moments throughout. Yeah. But like Jaws, it ends with, you know, killing the monster. They kill the shark. Yeah. Yeah. Almost all of them end with that. Like sometimes, you know, like 
you'll get like the the critters ending where they kill all the creatures but then there's an egg left over or something right right setting yeah. up for a sequel right no sequel to the mist no sequel to the mists no not with the they not with any the of the window. main cast yeah man crazy fucking yeah like almost you know well i hope folks that you you know a lot to be draw you know taken from this conclusion you know this also this movie was uh two years after katrina you oh, know interesting so uh i think it was laurie holden uh you know co- compared the re- uh the nightmare the refugees experienced in louisiana superdome uh during hurricane katrina to what happened to the characters in this movie mm. uh also kind of is a lesson to like not you know don't give up hope like mm-hmm. see it through to the bitter fucking end yes you know mm-hmm. you know take a moment before you do some fucking crazy shit, shit. that yeah. can never ever be undone yes there was like a moment where i i did kind of have a laugh mm-hmm. because when he steps out of the car and notices that the day is saved and he collapses to his knees we see the make and model of his car uh-huh right uh next to him and i i was like uh, it'd be a funny commercial <laughs> <laughs> oh, toyota oh. land cruiser <laughs> oh, that's some fucking uh, product placement <laughs> yeah i mean it was like a perfectly visible thing it was like toyota yeah <laughs> they show the brand of the gun too <laughs> like, yeah 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 you want to plug your friends and family the last people you know on earth yeah 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 do uh, it in a land rover yeah or in land cruiser my dad had a later model of one of those. I one time uh, used it to water balloon the people waiting in line for the Xbox 360 release and then ran from the cops in it. Wait, you did that? Yeah. <laughs> Jumped a curb, blew a tire, got surrounded by cops with guns drawn. Thinking you that did we this? Trying to rob people. Yeah. Really? That's hilarious. It was like uh, 19. So you drove like, by people waiting to get an Xbox, threw water balloons at them. Yeah. Tried to evade the police. <laughs> we did it. We did it at three different stores. <laughs> but at, there was a Toys R Us and this guy who was waiting in line pulled out nunchucks and started like. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Doing that's, fucking. That's like, the Bruce only Lee weapon. Yeah. So we were like, we got to go back. Yeah. And hit that guy with a water balloon. Like we have to. Uh, and then we did like the cops were waiting for us in the parking lot. Oh, man. And we tried to escape and I almost made it to my aunt's house, but we had a blown tire and then we're surrounded by. That's so funny. Dude. Cops with guns drawn. Nunchucks. Just fucking just playing to the Florida, man. <laughs> like, I mean, th- there's no weapon, no other weapon that somebody in that line would have had. No. Nunchucks. Yeah. No. Didn't pull a gun and a knife. <laughs> yeah. Just a thing that's really, really probably has no idea how to. Did he look like he knew how to use them? He kind of did. Yeah, and he was like, you know, like too old to like, right? Not know how to use his nunchucks. That's so funny, dude. That's great. I love that shit. I don't know if he was like a karate teacher, like waiting in the line, yeah, 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 an Xbox for his kids, or if he was getting excited to play Halo himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) That's so funny. Um, cool. Well, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think there was something else I had to say, but I don't know. We should get into the, to the, the after notes here. Yeah. There's a, a lot, a lot here. Remy, uh, as usual, did an excellent job. Hell yeah. Uh, really outdid herself as usual too. Nice. Thank um, you, Remy. Yeah. She's going to do a deep dive on Stephen King. I was like, save it. Like right. we got, <laughs> you yeah. know, like we got enough for this one. Uh, we'll do m- more of his work. I'm sure. 
And for those of you who don't know, Remy Mitchell is our researcher and she's doing a bang up job. Yep. Our friend from back in Orlando, currently based out of Wellington, New Zealand. That's correct. Part of the international team. Oh, yeah. Making up the only horror movie podcast. Hell yeah. Join the Discord. Yeah. And, you know, let her know you appreciate her work. Uh, all right. So let's go. I'll just go, go through her notes uh, more or less in order here. Uh, so some stuff on themes. Uh quote from Frank Darabont. He said, the story is less about the monsters outside than about the monsters inside the people you're stuck with your friends and neighbors breaking under the strain. Yes. Kind of a theme. He really was able to revisit quite a bit on walking dead as well. Yeah, you for know. sure. Uh, I feel like the zombie should have been a bigger part of it sometimes. And the walking dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Uh, I watched like a little bit of the first season, but I, I kind of got, I kind of started to resent the uh, zombie culture because it was just exploding. It was, yeah, it was, they were, it was so oversaturated at the time. Yeah. When it came out, yeah, I just, it just started to get so, so popular. And I was just like, I just am so tired of zombies right now. Yeah. I kind of, I had a similar thing with it. It was weird because like there was a big gap, mm-hmm. like very few zombie movies from like 1990 when the remake of Night of the Living Dead came out to like 2004 when the Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. uh, remake came out and then Shaun of the Dead like really those two I feel like kicked it off and yes. sent it like and then Walking Dead comics got popular yes. and you had movies like Zombieland and right 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 but they really hammered that theme home in the they, Walking Dead they, yeah absolutely absolutely they did it and it was um did you watch all the series did you watch it all I watched I I think I got through like season eight or something or my, nine my friend was in it uh Cooper he played a big character Cooper Andrews so he played. Uh, oh yeah, I don't know his name. He shows up in one of the later seasons, but he's a good character. Yeah, yeah, he came in. He a was on Halt and Catch Fire with you, right? Yeah, he was on Halt and Catch Fire with me, um, and uh, yeah, he became a uh, Alana. No, is that? No, no, that's not true. That's that wouldn't be his name. Uh, anyways, um, great guy, and uh, yeah, I remember he booked that like, like at the very end of uh, Halt. Oh, nice. And we didn't know that it was going to like make his whole career. Oh, yeah. But has he done well since then? I think he's done quite well. That's yeah. good. Yeah. A lot of that cast has gone yeah. on to right great on. things. Uh, you know, Frank Darabont does good work. Hell yeah. They fired him because they wanted to cut the budget and there's a whole big thing. You can read about the whole Frank Darabont getting fired from the Walking Dead saga. Crazy. It's uh, It's wild. They released his emails. <laughs> he's just sending these fucking emails where he's so livid and mad he's just like oh no it's like i keep getting stuck working with these fucking idiots oh, and no. doing this dumb shit ruining my fucking shot oh my just god like just so abusive to damn but uh yeah it, it, it's it's not good but it's also pretty funny to read because totally. he's so fucking mad yeah yeah that's awesome. uh, so from uh roger ebert's review uh david and mrs carmody become de facto leaders of two factions within the store one the sane people who try to work out plans to protect themselves and two the doomsday apocalypse mongers who see these events as payback for the sinful ways of mankind Mm -hmm. the movie's themes include fear anxiety disgust and demons in addition to the demons that linger outdoors this is a movie about the demons that dwell within the entire movie is an emotive exploration of the greatest and worst aspects of human impulse the movie feels like a transcendent allegory for mankind's deviously concealed evil will 
which manifests everywhere from horrific atrocities to the silent neighbor. Mm. This evil is concealed behind the pretense of modern civilization and the illusion of advancement. In the end, the movie presents a recurring Stephen King theory that individuals are fundamentally barbaric and that civilization as a whole is insensitive. Our attempt to understand and regulate the unfamiliar results in outrage, skepticism, and religious fanaticism, which causes blindness and violent behavior. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I realized that half of that was not from Roger Ebert's review. There was a break somewhere, and that went into a quote from someone else. All right, whatever. Yeah. So the second half of that was from Sarah uh, Almeida. Okay. From the the reviewgeek.com. All right, right on. Hell yeah. All right. So continuing on the themes from another review, there are a few different theories about what the film's ending means. Mm. Some think that Mrs. Carmody was right in killing Billy and Amanda brought about the end of the mist. Others think that it wasn't Billy and Amanda specifically, but the blood sacrifices in general that appeased the monsters and led to the mist dissipating. Mm. It could also be that David is just the unluckiest man on earth and it was all a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, that's my go with it. Yeah, I don't really buy any of the stuff about it. Like, I think uh, definitely if you're looking at it from the point of view of Stephen King and Frank Darabont, which is who I think you would probably, you know, uh, whose word you would probably take on what it means, right. you know, like, right. uh, uh, I would say that I think, you know, it was all just a horrible coincidence. And like, if they had not had this crazy religious lady, you know, fucking everything up, they probably could have just stayed in the store mm-hmm. and would have been fine. Yes. Like all the other survivors. Yeah. I mean, I think eventually they, yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Maybe they would have stuck around a little longer, but um, yeah, I, I really loved how the movie had all those different dynamics in it though. I mean, having a woman become like a cult leader inside was like really fucking cool. I mean, it kept yeah. it, it kept it interesting. Cause it's like those, right. It could have been good as just a monster movie, but that added so much tension and mm-hmm. so much. Well, it was also conflict just conflict, but it's also just like a very, very like real thing that could totally happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, we've seen multiple versions of it now, you know, like, uh, I feel like COVID is only the latest example, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it was uh, the only thing I would say that kind of is different from how it played out is that like the educated, like kind of scientifically minded, rational, skeptical people. I don't know if they would have just gone walking out into the mist with no evidence. Right. (laughs) Like, I think it would have been more likely like Jim and Myron. Mm-hmm. who did that based on at least what we saw with COVID, you know, like, yeah, I think if the movie were made now, there would be, it would be a little more, it would be different. The dynamics would be different. I think there would be a lot more people who would come up with some crazy conspiracies about what it might be, you know, cause there wasn't a lot of that. Oh, yeah. There wasn't a lot of conspiracy. Yeah. There was you know? a guy saying like, Oh, it's like a chemical cloud or whatever. Right. But like, yeah. 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 It went straight to the like fucking uh, end of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, Armageddon stuff. Got some uh, additional notes on Frank Darabont here. Uh, So he wanted to make a film version of The Mist as soon as he read it in Stephen King's Dark Forces anthology. Uh, I think dating back to like the 80s. Uh, Instead, he first directed three other Stephen King adaptations, starting with The Woman in the Room in 83, Shawshank Redemption in 94, and The Green Mile in 1999. Uh, He was able to make The Woman in the Room because Stephen King allows aspiring filmmakers 
to produce adaptations of his work for the price of one dollar. Uh, <laughs> Why? I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is one of the many cool things about Stephen King. Uh, known as Dollar Babies, these productions began in 1977 when King said he saw a way to give back a little of the joy the movies had given me. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Huh. You know. But he so, still makes royalties. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, still, yeah. I mean, he's rich as hell. Yeah. He's like one of the richest authors, yeah, yeah. I think, on earth. Right. Like, you know, he doesn't need the money, but still. Right, right, right. You know, uh, they had to pay almost a billion dollars to get the rights to Lord of the Rings for that Amazon series. Holy you know? shit. Um, but that's also Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just think it's cool that he lets people make his movies for a dollar. Yeah. Hell yeah. Another quote from Darabont is how primitive do people get? He said, basically is Lord of the flies that happens to have some cool monsters in it. Yeah. And you read Lord of the flies. I did not ever read Lord of the flies, but I have, mm-hmm. I know the whole story. Mm-hmm just from having i probably saw a movie at some point oh yeah yeah but i didn't read it in school very similar story here mm-hmm. darabont also says there's parallels to the twilight zone episode the monsters are due on maple street which i have not seen and the 1944 film lifeboat which mm. uh i believe is a hitchcock movie about people stranded in a lifeboat after a shipwreck yeah there's also a twilight episode that reminds me of uh this movie a little bit kind of a similar it's like a uh, i think it's yeah like that's a, what the monsters are doing maple street it was a twilight zone episode oh that's it yeah okay yeah yeah then that's what i'm thinking of probably could be a different one but yeah i don't know um very mom mentality yeah so the mist was screened at the film festival show east on october 18 2007 at which darabont received the kodak award for excellence in filmmaking for his previous works the shawshank redemption and the green mile uh, he was also a screenwriter before a director for the 1988 remake of The Blob, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and The Fly 2, hmm. which uh, all all pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen any of those. Uh, it's been a minute. I've seen The Blob a lot. That one's great. I have uh, never seen The Blob, and I don't think... Have I seen The Blob? There's the 1950s one with Steve McQueen. That's who it is. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I don't think I've I never seen. I didn't even know there was a fly, too. Oh, yeah. It's pretty uh, It's pretty great. You seen The Fly, though? Yes. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is pretty good, too. Remy's got some fun facts here. Uh, so Darabont wanted Stephen King to play the role of the biker, but he turned it down because he didn't want to travel to Louisiana to film the part. I think they filmed in Shreveport. Uh, so the poster that David is painting in the beginning is Roland from the Gunslinger, which is part of the Dark Tower series. Mm. Uh, that painting was done by film poster designer Drew Struzan. Along with the Gunslinger, there are two more por- posters designed by Struzan, the Strawshank Redemption and the Green Mile. Uh, there's also the poster for The Thing, and I guess there's one for Pan's Labyrinth there as well. Nice. Which I didn't notice, but there's other posters that kind of obscured in the background of the shot. Yeah, yeah. The film was nominated for three Saturn Awards, uh, Best Horror Film, Best Director, and won uh, Best Supporting Actress for uh, Marsha Gay Harden, who was Mrs. Carmody. Nice. Yeah, yeah. she was fucking great. Uh, this is a cool thing. The two-disc edition of the DVD and Blu-ray uh, includes the exclusive black and white presentation of the film which is what Darabont wanted to do, but the studio wouldn't allow it. Mm. But I've watched it in black and white and it's pretty awesome. Really? Yeah. It was done to give it like a, like night of the living dead, uh-huh. like uh and like fifties monster movie vibe. Okay. Uh, so if you can 
get a DVD copy, which I couldn't find mine for some reason because I wanted to watch the black and white one. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I would give it a rewatch in uh, black and white. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally worth it. Oh yeah. Um, so Darabont, uh, in terms of production, Darabont turned down a thirty million dollar offer to finance the movie if he would change the ending to take the dimension deal and make the film with the ending he wrote. He gave up his salary. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Do we know what they wanted to change it to? It's just like kind of what the short story was. Or? Yeah. Something less bleak. Right. You know, like not that. That's awesome. Not that fucking ending. That rules. Yeah. Right. Like he really, you know, I feel like it takes a lot of like just commitment and integrity to just be like, nope, I'm not going to take these millions of dollars to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I uh, mean, that's uh but that's also what got him fired from the walking dead too. What his stubbornness? Like yeah, his, his well, you know, because they kept like they kept reducing the budget and stuff. Right, and right. Like the AMC executives pulled all kinds of shit that caused problems. That, yeah. But it, it ended up okay. Right. Not for him, but the the show was all right. Sure, sure. Um, he also used the camera crew from the the TV show The Shield, uh, to give it like that gritty kind of uh feel that it has mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit earlier but to stop the movie from looking like a period piece darabont worked with a production designer to create a mix of eras this is why the film does not look contemporary but also can't be tied to a specific time period uh examples include characters using cell phones military police and outdated attire and outdated jeep mm-hmm. uh you know what I also noticed in the beginning of the movie? Cause it's, it's interesting that you m- mentioned that. Cause it was one of the first thoughts that I had when the movie started mm-hmm. was a feeling of like, when does this movie take place? Because it opens with like old jazz. Yeah. I found myself wondering that too. Cause like the posters, mm-hmm. you know, like the thing came out in 1982. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he's like listening to this older music, but then you can tell his t-shirt just kind of seems more contemporary, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I guess it. Okay. So he just likes this older music, but it's takes place in, I guess maybe the early two thousands or something. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's like a weird, like throwback kind of anachronistic thing, but yeah, I think it works well when you kind of can just get past it and not think about it too much. Oh, it but didn't distract me. I found myself wondering it as I was watching it. I was right. like, is this, wait, was this set in the eighties? Like, right. Is this land cruisers? Like it's like an eighties model and mm-hmm. like, you know, Norton's car is like a 1980 Mercedes. They mentioned that. Yeah. Over 100 extras from Shreveport were used, and uh, 60 of those extras were mixed in with the ensemble cast. Uh, to emphasize the heavier feeling as of his adaptation, Darabont used music to minimal effect. Remy noted, personally, I found the music very effective when the religious lady was preaching at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, gut-wrenching. He stated that sometimes movie music feels false. I've always felt that, a si- uh, that silence can be scarier than loud. Uh, a mm-hmm. whisper more frightening than a bang. Yeah, it's like the old Hitchcock thing. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to create a balance. We kept the music to a minimum to keep that verite documentary feel. Yeah. Uh, Jordu Shell and Bern Wrightston uh, assisted in designing the creatures for the film. They happen. Uh, this happened at the visual effects studio Cafe FX after Darabont asked Guillermo del Toro, who created the visual effects for Pan's Labyrinth. Cool. Uh, Remy has some notes from her own viewing. Okay. Uh, Let's hear Remy. Yeah. So this is a very special watching watching session because I'm watching it with my flatmate who has never seen the movie. 
he got his first jump scare during that opening sequence. The uh, uh, the, the, tree. the tree, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, the tree like smashes that window. It's, it sure it's does. Like kind of a jump scare. Uh, she said, "Oh my God, that's the gunslinger." I guess she knows Stephen King stuff pretty well. Yeah. Uh, this guy. Oh, he said uh, this guy sounded like Nick when he said, "Guess you've seen the boathouse." Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, dude. I didn't think that. But, yeah. No. Neither did I. Uh, she was rewatching it, knowing the ending is very depressing. Mm-hmm. She said, "Was Norman major pain? Yes, he was." <laughs> She linked to the scene where he says, uh, Major Payne says, what are you looking at? Ass eyes? I shouldn't do that voice. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's okay. But I, mean, I watched it earlier. He does such an exaggerated voice. It's so. a very silly voice. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think you're good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's the, he's the redheaded kid from Major Payne. Yeah, that's great. Ass eyes. Man, what a line. Yeah. She really wanted him to drop the, the door during that scene and... uh really it really pissed her off and so did captain holt when he didn't believe nor did he even want to see proof Mm -hmm. i think she said she lost all sympathy for billy when he went to find his dad and almost got shot yeah she liked the shot of the soldier's bloody handprint on the door which i think we can agree we all liked yeah it was a great moment yeah and she said a shot and i cackled when the headshot happened it was i was really rooting for her to die oh yeah but she did feel a little bit awkward about Billy's fate. Yeah, a bit awkward mm-hmm. about Billy getting <laughs> killed. <laughs> that was her dad feeling. shot him in the head. Awkward. Yeah, that's super awkward. That is, it's about as awkward as it gets. Yeah, <laughs> peak awkward moment there when you shoot your. Try son to in explain the face. that to the grandparents, uh-huh. or school teachers. So I did a thing. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to say it seemed like a really good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In terms of uh, critical receptions, we've got here some uh, quotes from critics. Uh, James Berardinelli said, uh, The Mist is what a horror film should be. Dark, tense, and punctuated by just enough gore to keep the viewer's flinch reflex intact. Mm -hmm. Finally, after a long list of failures, someone has done justice in bringing one of King's horror stories to the screen. Hell yes. I think there have been some other good ones. I do think that as well. I was thinking, you know, there's been so many good movies uh, that have been adapted from his novels. I mean, yeah, I, more than you even realize because you get the, like you know that one, the first one that Darabont did. I never even heard of. Right, but also, um, I mean, the Pet Cemetery was was a great watch, and uh, yeah, some fun ones like Sleepwalkers that McGarris did. Uh, yeah, I never saw that one. Uh, you know, Carrie was great. Carrie, I haven't seen Christine that one. Christine is considered pretty good. Yeah, so that's a incorrect quote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, like whatever, dude. Yeah, whatever, bro. Uh, though definitely not the feel-good movie of the season. This is a must-see for anyone who loves the genre and doesn't demand torture porn from horror, which is another thing. Like, why do you have to bring that goddamn term? It's not a dichotomy. You know, no. you can like, you can enjoy the Saw movies and the Mist. That's right. Goddamn critics. Uh, there's another quote from uh, Lisa Schwartzbaum. Another uh, critic. There is a grim modern parable to be read into the dangerous effects of the gospel preaching cra- local crazy lady, Mrs. Carmody, brilliantly played by a hellfire Marcia Gay Harden on a congregation of the fearful. Roger Ebert gave it a mixed review. Sure he did. Fuck, man. Yeah, dude. Come on, bro. Why you got to be all mean from the grave, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, this guy, Justin Chang, said, Frank Darabont's screw loose doomsday thriller works better as a gross out B movie than as a psychological portrait of mankind under siege, marred by one note characterizations and a tone that veers wildly between snarky and hysterical. Fully disagree there. Yeah, right. Uh, a tone between snarky and hysterical? Yeah, that's not how I. Not at all. No. No. I mean, this movie, I at certain points, yeah, it gets, uh, I don't know. It, it's. I don't know. I was just horrified. Yeah. Jim and Myron might be a little caricature like, you know, Sure. and Mrs. Car, you know, she's just very evil. Yeah. I mean, it's like relatively, yeah. Caricature. There's a lot of people who are kind of like in between though. Like and Myron is, you know, he's not all bad and uh, right. Bud, the store manager, he like, you know, yes, he kind of goes back and forth a little bit. Uh, Ollie's great. Ollie's the best. Uh, and the cast, like everybody, did an excellent job in this movie the entire cast you know like, truly uh the mist was written in the summer of 1976 and published in dark forces which i think is an anthology king wrote it while living in bridgeton after going to the supermarket in the aftermath of a storm he said my muse suddenly shat on my head this happens as it always does suddenly with no warning he was looking for hot dog buns and pictured prehistoric birds at the meat counter knocking shit over and that's what did it huh that's what sparked this whole thing. That's pretty cool, man. Kind of say my brain works similar ways sometimes. That's great. I don't think I'm as good a writer as him, but but hey, at least you have a muse. Do you have those kind of weird ideas where you just be like somewhere and you just like I don't know, start to picture like oh, what if there were monsters or right, zombies yeah. here? Yeah, run with that. That's great. I mm-hmm. don't really have that. I I, I always wonder. Sometimes I, I wonder if I have a muse. I feel like it comes when I. It's always with like ideas for jokes and stuff. Oh yeah. Well, let's take a mushroom trip on an Airbnb in the desert. Okay. I'll start to imagine what it'd be like if a, you know, things happen. Right. I'll do it. Especially when you're sitting alone at night. Pencil that in before you head to New York. Thanks, man. Uh, the writer, uh, George Beam, who wrote the Stephen King Companion, uh, suggests listening to the binaural sound recording of the reading of The Mist. It's apparently very spooky, mm. which okay. I, I might have to do that. Yeah, that sounds cool. I like listening to binaural beats. Use them when I meditate. In Darabont's own words, he said he was in something of a mean mood when he wrote the film. Bit of an understatement there. Sure. A longtime passion project for the filmmaker. The Mist was in the works for over a decade What? by the time it finally came together. Wow. By then, America was in the thick of Bush-era political discord and Darabont was, quote, pissed off at the world. The result is a film that's equal parts delightful B-movie monster horror inspired by the Harryhausen-era drive-in creature features of yore. He mentions here, do yourself a favor and watch the black and white cut. And a, quote, wounded angry cry inspired by the strife and enmity that dominated the discourse of that era. And to think it only got worse. Yeah, uh, right. In a 2008 interview, Darabont went on record for the first time when he admits that he got the idea of the ending from King himself. When King asked how he came to the film's conclusion, he said, Steve, I got it from you. Look at this line in your story here in the last chapter. We are hearing David's thoughts and he says, there are three bullets in the gun. There are four of us in the car. If worse comes to worse, I'll figure out something for myself. So all I did was take King's darkest thought and follow it to its most logical, horrible conclusion. True. Yes, absolutely. The paranoid classics Darabont drew inspiration from include The Thing, The Fly, and Night of the Living Dead. Lots of talk about the similarities and the gut punch endings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Night of the Living Dead has a similarly bleak ending. Uh, Yeah, yep. The fucking lead character gets shot in the face. Still not quite as tragic as this one, though. No, because the, the lead doesn't have to live on having shot... Uh, 
a bunch of people, including his little boy. Yeah. They make a sequel just about him trying to put the pieces of his life back together yeah. after like, Fucking. or, you know, maybe he moves to Costa Rica and just starts over. Yeah. He, he'd probably be all right. Yeah. You know, he's a good looking guy. He can get a good family. <laughs> Dude, you're a good looking guy. You know? <laughs> it's like in therapy. Come on. You can go get it. Go, go, go out there. Live it up. Gotta just download Bumble and get back on that horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So that is the end of the, the notes. Uh, Great. Yeah. I'll um, do some superlatives real quick. Yeah. So I got my picks here and you can uh, give us yours as yeah. I go through. Uh, so for best kill for me, I got to go Norm's death because it was the most painful, drawn out, gory and frightening. And before it happens, we don't know we're watching a monster movie. That's true. Because even in like the, the trailers and stuff, they don't show that there's any monsters in it, you know? Right. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say Mrs. Cromedy just because it was the most satisfying. It really. Yeah. It's great. And I love that it was done by uh, Ollie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's my favorite kill. I got, I I can totally see that one. Yeah. But I also did like that fucking guy dying, uh, bursting open from the fucking spiders and stuff. That one was pretty amazing, too. Yeah. I mean, technically, he was already dead, but. It was hard to pick for this one, but just watching Norm, like his just chunk of his thigh get torn off. And yeah. Like, That's a great kill. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. The spider thing was pretty horrific, too. Yeah. Uh, all the spider deaths, the fucking web. Mm-hmm. like burning melting the guy's, guy's face, face and yeah. burning guy's leg off you uh-huh. know the guy who gets his neck bitten out by the pterodactyl thing yeah the guy covered in burnt yeah sally or whatever yeah it's getting stung by the fucking her neck blown up like a bullfrog yeah 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 she was so pretty and then did not look good no she didn't look i wouldn't uh i wouldn't take her out nope fear meter on this one what's your i'm curious what your score is it how scary is this movie i'd give this one uh I give it an eight, maybe. I mean, seven, seven is. I gave it an eight out of ten. Yeah, I'd say seven to eight. Yeah, it's it's because it's 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 very tense, man. Yeah, I was it's super it up. tense. It's like it's the monsters are scary. Mm-hmm. The fucking Mrs. Carmody and her people are even more scary. Yes, terrifying. And then it, it does not let up, and it just the entire movie just gets worse and worse till the very fucking last second. Yes, it does. Gore score for this one. I also gave it an eight out of 10. That's a lot fair. of blood. Yeah. A lot of blood, a lot of uh, guts, a lot of horrifying. Yeah. Burns. You, know, you got fucking, norm. Yeah. The guy covered in burns. The other spiders uh-huh. exploding out of the guy. Yeah. You got the half, the, the body being dragged back on the rope. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a gory movie. Yeah. I've seen ones that take it even further, but this one is still like, pretty high up there for especially for one made by such a seemingly respectable filmmaker right you know because people call the shawshank redemption the green mile like some of the best movies ever made right so favorite character best performance for me i gotta go mrs carmody yeah very very she's obviously the most easily hateable characters in movie history yes well because you're especially if you're not religious you know, or if you've had bad experiences with religious right. people, yeah, you're already annoyed by that, mm-hmm. and so that kind of irks you, yeah, you know. But then the fact that she becomes a cult leader, which is just such a despicable thing, yeah, and then tries to sacrifice a child, yeah. Um, but then she's you know, and she's so high and mighty, but she still cusses too, right? The hypocrisy of it, yes, yes, she's the worst, 
Mine is Ollie. I just, I, you probably saw that coming, folks, but I just mm-hmm. was, uh, I just was a huge fan of Ollie because yeah. I, I love that actor. He's the most likable to me, too. You know, he's just a guy that you can't hate. Yeah. He's probably the most redeeming character in the yeah. whole thing. Like, he, you know, right from the start, you just like him. He's just a likable guy, you mm-hmm. know, who seems like, uh, you know, great actor, Toby Jones. Fantastic. Yeah. I really like, I like David Drayton a lot, too. I always like mm-hmm. Thomas Jane and just about anything I've seen him in. Yeah. And then, like, you know, even some of the very minor characters, like the guy uh, Cornell or whatever his name was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just kind of like the old, slightly redneck guy. But yeah, he like, kind of looks like like Mark Twain a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like, like you know, yeah. He's like the smart, small town kind of redneck, yeah. working class guy. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Jim and Myron, who are the stupid assholes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Oh, and then uh, added a different category for this one: uh, favorite creature. Uh. I guess the spiders, you know, I think the spiders were probably the coolest. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I thought the spiders were pretty sweet, but for me, uh, it was actually a tie between the pterodactyl creatures because I just think that that scene was so fun. Yeah, it was a cool scene. Uh, and uh, and they just look crazy, but they also kind of look like they could exist. Yeah. Um, for sure and then the giant fucking behemoth thing at the end like the six-legged tentacled atat looking thing was yeah that thing was pretty bad it was just cool like they were just we're just gonna throw this in here because it looked uh-huh also kind of gave you a uh an idea of where the tentacles might have come from yeah yeah that's where the tentacles might have come from and it gave you gave you a perspective of how big this thing and how massive a scale this thing was mm-hmm. yeah kind of how there was just no fucking no escaping you can understand why after seeing that you'd be like oh there's no escape from this no yeah but yeah such such a fun movie but also such a bleak dark movie. very very bleak and dark yeah yeah but, this one doesn't leave you feeling good at all but no but you'll i mean if you're like me you'll find yourself coming back to it like mm-hmm. it's also a fun one to watch with anybody for their first time because they have no idea what is coming yes absolutely especially if maybe they've seen the fog and they're like oh i kind of i know what this will be mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i hope you enjoyed the episode i hope you watched the movie before if, yeah. you, if you haven't and you don't mind spoilers, I mean, go back and just watch. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Very easy to find. Yeah. You don't even have to rent it right now. I hope you guys check it out. And I hope you like the episode because that was, that was a good one. I really yeah, enjoyed it. Check that. out that binaural audiobook, And if you can get your hands on that black and white version, the black and white is fucking sweet. Yeah. I wonder if you can rent it anywhere online or something. Maybe. Yeah. yeah or if you're in a place like LA that actually has video stores. That's right. Uh, well, that's it, folks. Um, Thank you for listening to the Only Horror Movie Podcast. Yes, we really, really appreciate everybody who checks this out. And yeah. Yeah, like you said, please tell your friends about it. Please do. That would really we mean a lot we're all very us. popular. If you listen to this podcast, you're going to be a very popular person. That's true. And we're sorry that it's been sporadic with the releases and big gaps, but we'll get back into a flow of everything. It's just kind of things are a little bit chaotic right now. Yeah, we've got a lot going on. But uh, uh, thank you, guys. So uh, we will see you next week. Yeah. All right. Goodbye. Later. Ha, ha, ha!